So Luke chapter 1, we continue our, our study through this, this gospel. We have been studying verse by verse the, the gospel of Luke and the account as we come to the account of Zechariah this, this morning. We will see the third of the songs that are revealed for us, a third of the, the, the hymns that we see in the first two chapters of this gospel of Luke. We've already seen that uh, there are five songs. We've looked at Elizabeth and Mary's song, and today we are going to look at the third song. When Zechariah opens his mouth and his heart pours forth these blessings and his praises to God. So, of course, in the context of what Luke is doing here in chapter 1 and chapter 2, everything is leading up to the, to the birth of the, the Lord Jesus Christ. And everything is pointing to the birth of Jesus. But along the way, even as Luke's central focus is to focus us on, on Jesus Christ, who He is, what He's come to do, He's also teaching us about living the, the Christian life. And so we'll learn both of those things as we study this passage together this morning. So Luke chapter 1, we will read from verse 67 to verse 80. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear." in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. A new child will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace." And the child grew and became strong in spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. On Tuesday, the 29th of October this year, Kerry, um, the children, and I were checking in our luggage at the Oliver Tambo Airport in Johannesburg to fly back here to, to Abu Dhabi. But this was the same day that the South African rugby team were arriving back after winning the Rugby World Cup in Japan. So, of course, the airport was crowded with fans and, and well-wishers who had been waiting for hours to get the, the best spots to celebrate the, the homecoming of our, of our international champions. And if you know anything about South Africa, you know that our country still struggles with, with racial divide but not at the airport that Tuesday. That day there was really peace among all men. And the country's problems and differences were, were put aside. You know, people from all classes and, and all races were, were singing the, the praises of this team 
together in, in unity. They were, they were even hugging and embracing each other as they shared in the glory of this winning World Cup team. And the whole airport was filled with, with hope that somehow this rugby team was going to bring peace and, and reconciliation to the, to the whole country. And it was a privilege to be there and to, to revel in that, in that joy and that reconciliation and peace of that country, even if it was only for a couple of hours. And by comparison, I think that this is a fraction of the kind of joy that, that Luke is communicating to us in the beginning of this wonderful gospel. In the Old Testament, God had promised His people that He would bring reconciliation. He had promised His people that He would send a, a deliverer. He promised His people that He would send a, a Savior, someone who would reconcile them back to God by delivering them from their, their sins. But for 400 years, God had been silent. The people of God lived in discouragement. They lived in despair. And I'm sure they, they often prayed and asked God to act. But for 400 years, he, he didn't. Then one day, God sent his angel Gabriel to a priest named Zechariah while he was serving at the temple in Jerusalem. And Gabriel told Zechariah that God was going to give him and his barren old wife, Elizabeth, a son who would be the messenger to the Savior. Finally, God was taking action. And we know what happened next. Zechariah doubted the word from God that God would give Elizabeth and him a son in their, in their old age. So for nine months, as a result of his unbelief, Zechariah was not able to speak to anyone. And three months after Mary visits with Elizabeth, she gives birth to Zechariah's son, John the Baptist. And we saw last week how the entire community rejoiced that, that God had shown mercy to Elizabeth by giving her a child when she was old and, and barren. Remember that. And on the eighth day, when the community gathered to circumcise and, and name the boy, they assumed that he would be called Zechariah after his, his father. However, Elizabeth insisted that his name was not going to be Zechariah, but, but John, which was the name that was given to Gabriel, name that was given to Zechariah through Gabriel. And then Elizabeth insisted, and the people were confused because nobody in their family was was called John. Nobody. No relative. And then Zechariah stood up and took a tablet. He was unable to, to speak, a writing tablet. And he wrote the name John on this, on this tablet. And immediately as he wrote that name on that tablet, the Bible says his mouth was loosed. He was able to speak. And we saw last week how people were amazed and people were talking about this all throughout the, the region. Who was, this, who was this child? And there was great joy because God was at long last sending deliverance and, and peace to his people. And the first thing that Zechariah does as he's able to speak 
is he bursts into praise. And this is the song that is recorded for us of Zechariah's words, his first words that he, that he speaks. And it's known as the, the Benedictus. It's known as the Benedictus, Zechariah's song of praise to God. And we're going to look through three glorious parts of this Benedictus, of the song of blessing sung by Zechariah, and see what we can learn about our God and our Savior and about our salvation and about the way that we are to walk in our daily life. So my first point this morning is from verse 68 to verse 71. The first thing I want you to see is this. Zechariah makes it very clear that his son, John the Baptist's life, work, and ministry and message is going to be set in the context of the unfolding plan of redemption, which the Lord himself is accomplishing. And the first thing that comes out of his mouth, look at verse 68, is this. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. It's all about God. Notice that. Notice the, the God-centeredness of this song. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David. In other words, Zechariah is saying to all of those people who were saying, what is this child going to turn out to be? What, what surely this child has some special role in, in the life of our of our community. Surely this boy is going to be unique and he's going to do great things. And notice that Zechariah turns the attention away from this boy to God. To God who is going to do great things. It is God and what he has accomplished. It is God who has visited his people. It is God who's accomplishing their redemption. It's all about God. Yes, his, his son will be a, a faithful servant of the Lord, but his son is just a vessel. His son is just a tool to point people to our great God, to the Messiah. But the first thing that Zechariah wants all of us to see is that John is just a part. He's just a piece of a larger thing that, that's going on here. And the larger thing that is going on is that God is preparing to visit redemption for his people. He is bringing redemption to his people. He's going to accomplish redemption for his people. In other words, Zechariah wants some perspective put on, on John's uniqueness. Yes, of course, John is unique. Yes, he is called of the Lord. Yes, he is going to be the, the great last prophet of the Old Testament but he's only a part of something much bigger. And I think there's a truth here for all of us by way of application. As I was studying this, this, this thought really just impressed this on my, the Lord impressed this, this thought on my heart. For us who claim to be Christians, you know, I understand that John's unique and that the role that he has the role that he has in this redemptive history is unique. I understand that. And I understand that he's not us. But it seems to me that there's something which we can learn from Zech what Zechariah does in his prophecy. He says that we have to understand John in the context of something bigger. 
That's what he's trying to say. We have to understand our lives in the context of something bigger. We need to understand the reason that we are here on this planet. We need to understand our, our mission. We need to understand that there is something bigger than just ourselves, bigger than just our, our talents, something bigger than our desires and, and our dreams, something bigger than our small little bubble, folks. There's a greater reason why God has put us here on this earth. And it's God's purposes. It's not our purposes. It is God's purposes. And even as he begins this song with a God-centeredness that, that points us away from John and to God and to what God is doing, so also there's the context in which all of us must live. Realizing that our lives are about something bigger than, than just ourselves. Than just ourselves. And bigger than, than just our, our families. Our lives are about the, the kingdom of God displayed in all the glory of the gospel of, of Jesus Christ. And we to bear witness to Him in all that we say and all that we do. And I've said this before, folks, and we spent a whole month emphasizing on this, this great commission. But it's not an accident the Lord has brought you here to the UAE. It's not an accident. And God's purpose for bringing you here to the UAE, Pastor Doug said it well, is not to make money. The reason the Lord has brought you here is far greater than your own little personal desires and ambitions. The purpose for your life is to reflect the glory of God and display His goodness to the world around you so that people may See God and glorify Him as well. And we see that here in the way Zechariah is, is writing this song, isn't it? Yes, his son is unique. Yes, his son is special. But this is not the purpose. Yes, we may have our talents. And our mothers might think we're very special. But there's a greater purpose. There's a greater purpose for our redemption, folks. Those of us who have been saved by God's grace, there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. Even Yes, it's true, God cares for us deeply. And He loves us and he, he wants us to love our families just the way He loves us. But He also wants us to value His kingdom. He wants us to value His kingdom. And there's a God-centeredness about Zechariah's song here that teaches us the kind of God-centered lives that we are to have. My second point I want to look at is from verse 72 to verse 75. There's a second thing as well that we see in these verses. And that is Zechariah wants us to understand before we get to know what this boy is going to do and what God is going to accomplish through through John, Zechariah wants you to understand that God is fulfilling a 2,000-year-old promise before the very eyes of those who have seen the circumcision of, of John the Baptist and who will eventually see the birth of 
the Lord Jesus Christ and his life and his ministry. And that 2,000 old promise is God's promise to Abraham. Look at verse 72. To show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. As Zechariah explains God's plan of redemption, he says, what is God doing? He's saving us from our enemies. He says that in verse 71. For what? Look at verse 72. To show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his, his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. Do you see what, what Zechariah is doing here? Do you see what Zechariah is saying? He's saying that in the complex of events surrounding the coming of the Messiah into, into the world, which of course will culminate in the Messiah's death and burial and, and resurrection and, and ascension, we are seeing the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. Turn with me, if you would, quickly in your Bibles to Genesis 12. To Genesis 12. Remember in, in Genesis 12, verse 2, God promised Abraham that he would bless him and that he would curse those who, who curse him. He says that in verse 2. And that he would make him a blessing to all the, the families of the earth. And he reiterates that same promise. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 15. A few pages over. He reiterates the same promise in chapter 15 verse 1. He says, Do not fear, Abram. And he said, I am your shield and your reward will be very great. So he's reiterating here in Genesis 15, his promise to make Abram a multitude of nations and to be a God to him and to his seed after him and to give him a land of, of his own. Turn to quickly to Genesis 17, just a few more pages. Genesis 17. In verse 4 and 5, he reassures Abram of this promise a third time. He says, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. So God changed his name to emphasize his promise. That's, that's the reason his name was changed. From Abram to Abraham. And telling him that he would make a covenant with him and his descendants after him and that he would be his God and Abraham and his descendants would be his people and that he would fulfill his promises that he has made. Well, skip a, a couple of centuries to Luke chapter 1 again. Right here in Luke chapter 1, verse 72 and verse 73, while Zechariah is singing this marvelous song, it is full of theology. It is full of truth. And he is telling us that the coming of Jesus, the Messiah, into this world, that the coming of Jesus as the Messiah in this world was a fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. That Jesus fulfilled the covenant of, of grace that God had made with Abraham. 
Two weeks back, Donnie showed us from the New Testament how the the person and the work of Jesus Christ and, and the gospel is the fulfillment of the promise that God made to Abraham. It's wonderful that we have this This sure word, folks, this is not just an invention of man. This is God's inspired word, and he keeps his word. He keeps his promises. We don't have the time to to look through the New Testament and see all of these, these promises today, but it happens a bunch of times, many times. And Luke is the gospel writer that gets to this theme, perhaps the earliest of all the other writers. Right here in chapter 1, he's reminding us that God has fulfilled his promises. God has fulfilled his promises. And here we are, 4,000 years later. And you and me, we all, the fact that this Gentile congregation is here, we are, ourselves are, are living proof. That the promise of Abraham has come not only to the Jewish people who believe in Jesus, but even to the Gentiles. It's wonderful to think that we're not too far away from Jerusalem, are we? But we don't have to go to Jerusalem to worship God. Because God is with us. Emmanuel. He has fulfilled His promises. We are recipients of the promise that God has made to Abraham. And Luke is telling us through the mouth of of Zechariah that Jesus the Messiah in his person and in his work has brought about the fulfillment of the promise that God had made to Abraham. In other words, Zechariah wants everyone to understand that there is something big going on here. Something big going on. As glorious as is the unique role that that John the Baptist will play, his son will, will play, God is doing something far greater. God is about his work of sending his son. His promise is about to be fulfilled. His work of redemption that he promised will be realized in the Messiah. So we can praise God for his work of redemption. We can also praise God for his fulfilled promises. And lastly, we can praise God for the prophecy of John and his ministry. Praise God for John the Baptist. Look at verse 76. Zechariah gets around to answering this question. What is this child going to be? What role does God have for him? And here's how Zechariah answers it. He will be called the prophet of the Most High. And he will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. Now Zechariah was already an old man when John was born. And I don't know how long he lived. The Bible doesn't tell us. It's very possible that Zechariah did not have the opportunity to to sit his son down and, and train him in these things. By the time his son probably was an adult, Zechariah probably wasn't there. It's entirely possible that John lost his father and his mother at a very young age. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. Nobody really can even guess. But I do know this. 
When I read Luke chapter 1, verse 76 to 79, I'm amazed at how the prophecy of Zechariah, given when his son was eight days old, really charts for us precisely the, the content of John's life and his, his preaching ministry. And of course, we have perfect 2020 vision, don't we? Because we, we look back and we can see that, that John was exactly like Zechariah had prophesied. Zechariah's, uh, John's ministry was exactly like Zechariah prophesied. John is going to have the responsibility of warning Israel against God's just judgment as he prepares the, the way of the Lord. But look at what else he says there in verse 77. He says, To give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Please underline that in your Bible. To give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Very important words used there. John's not just going to preach repentance. And he's not just going to preach judgment. He's also going to preach forgiveness of sins. And the salvation that we have because of forgiveness in forgiveness of our sins. The King James Version says, by the remission of their sins. And remission means to, to send away, to dismiss as a, as a debt. And all of us are in debt. Maybe not financially, but all of us are in debt to God because we have broken His law and we have failed to live up to His standards. So all of us are spiritually bankrupt. We are unable to, to pay our debt. And perhaps you know a friend, even here in the UAE, who was unable to, to pay their debt. And we see what happens to them. Well, the consequences for us who are unable to pay our debt is spiritual debt is far more serious, folks. Far more serious. And thank God for sending Jesus. Thank God for sending Jesus who would pay that debt that we were unable to pay. Psalm 103 verse 12 tells us, As far as the east is from the west. And how far is the east from the west in kilometers? Well, it doesn't touch, does it? There's no amount. As far as the east is from the west, so far, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. That means we are declared righteous. That means we are legally declared righteous, folks. If we put our faith in the work that God has done to accomplish our salvation, to pay for our debt. Look, look at finally at verse 78 there. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. The people, even you and I, were sitting in darkness and death and distressed, gripped God's people. But when Jesus came, things changed. Everything changed. Everything changed. He brought life. He brought life. He brought peace. 
And he continues to do that today. In other words, John's preaching of sin and repentance and of forgiveness is going to be rooted in an understanding of of God's grace and in the gospel of grace and in salvation. Not by what we do, not by our works, but in what Christ has done and what Christ has accomplished. Notice these three things, folks. There's going to be a message of repentance, of course, in preparation. But there's going to be a message of forgiveness of sins. And there's going to be a message of God's grace and and tender mercy to His people who didn't deserve God's grace. Even when He came, they spat at Him and crucified Him. Even when He answered their prayers, they put Him to death. They didn't deserve God's grace. They didn't deserve his tender mercies. But still he gave it. And when you look through the pages of the New Testament at the description of John's mercy, years, sorry, John's ministry, years later, more than 20 years, probably even 25 years later, after these words have, have been spoken, you find that Zechariah's prophecy is fulfilled perfectly perfectly turn forward in your bibles quickly to to luke chapter 3 let me let me show you let me show you there in in verse 4 luke chapter 3 verse 4 this is how luke describes john the baptist he says he came preaching and he fulfilled what was written in the book of the words of isaiah the prophet the voice of one crying in the wilderness Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. And notice his words of judgment against the the leaders of of Israel in the next verse there in in verse 7. You brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? You brood of vipers. Strong words, folks. You snakes. I mean, that's that's judgmental, isn't it? That's judgmental. Judge not well. Read that verse again. He was judging appropriately right here. These Pharisees were hypocrites. And we're going to learn more about them as as we go through the book of Luke. They had taken... God's grace for granted. They had taken God's word and twisted and manipulated it for their own benefits. And they turned people away from God rather than pointing them to God. And he calls them vipers. Strong language and strong preaching against sin. Notice that also here. There's a strong call to repentance. And there's a preparing of the way of the Lord just as his father had prophesied. But there is also a beautiful promise of the forgiveness of sins that God holds out in Jesus Christ. Look back at chapter 3, at verse 3. He came preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And it's even better than that. Remember in the Gospel of John when Jesus comes out into the wilderness where where John is ministering. what What does John say? He says, Behold, 
the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. So John not only preached God's approaching and, and just judgment and the necessity of, of repentance, but he also pointed people to the forgiveness of, of sins that can only come through one person. Behold Jesus. Behold Jesus. Let's never get that message wrong, folks. There is only one way to God, and that is through Jesus Christ. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But I want you to pause and think about this just for a second as we bring this to a close this morning. Because John's preaching has always been characterized as, as hard. He's a hard man. He was an unkind man. He preached sermons that crushed people, that challenged sin and demanded repentance and demanded a response. And, and he's, he's accused of all of this. But folks, I want us to see what the real message he was preaching here. And I've said this before. Without the bad news, there is no good news. When we share the gospel with our unsaved friends and families this, this Christmas, it's easy to avoid the, the subject of sin, isn't it? You can talk about that little baby in the manger and how, and how beautiful and wishy-wishy-gushy he is. We can forget completely about sin. I don't like preaching about sin. It's not my favorite subject. I don't enjoy it at all. I'd rather talk about something else. But without understanding what sin is and our need for salvation from our sins, we have no need for a Savior. We have no need for, for God's forgiveness. We have no need for God's mercy. And if people do not admit and acknowledge that they are, that they are sinners, then they have no need for Jesus. Now John MacArthur once said that Soft preaching makes hard hearts. And I think the opposite was true of John the Baptist. Hard preaching made soft hearts. And I think what John MacArthur meant by, meant by that was preaching that refused to take seriously our sin and to address us in our sinfulness and our, and our need of repentance also makes of little importance the mercy and the grace of God. And when people think that they can take God's grace and mercy for granted, then their hearts become hard, folks. When their hearts become hard. There's a, a family that came and met with me a while back and their hearts have become hard towards each other, towards the things of God, because they are not obeying the Scriptures. They are taking God's, God's grace for granted, and they, are, and they are becoming hard towards each other to the point where, where, where they are ready to, to get divorced. And we see how real this is, folks. If we take away the, the hard truths of the Bible we ourselves become like the, the Pharisees. And we become self-righteous. 
And we're not willing to forgive others because we don't understand the need for our own sins to be forgiven. We don't, we don't see ourselves as sinners in light of a holy God. John the Baptist's ministry is a glorious example, I think, of how faithful preaching makes soft hearts. Because faithful preaching brings us face to face with our own sin and our own need for, for grace and forgiveness. And the provision of that grace and forgiveness in Jesus Christ alone. And it makes soft hearts. Those who know their own sin and who know God's grace to them are far more ready to forgive others who have sinned against them than those who have heard soft preaching which never addresses the hard reality of what, what sin can do to us and what sin can, can do to others and how it affects our relationships and how it destroys our, our marriages and our homes. And that's why John's ministry is such a blessing to us because he refuses to let us get away without seeing the log, the log in our own eye. So that having it removed, we can then look to the grace of our Savior and find the forgiveness of sins. And this Christmas, folks, let me challenge you to remember to tell the full story. Yes, Jesus is love. Yes, Jesus loved the world and sent His Son, Jesus, through the God loved the world and sent His Son, Jesus, to the Virgin Mary. But He didn't remain in that manger His whole life, folks. He grew up perfectly, never breaking one of the laws, so that He could offer up His body as a perfect sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins. And until any of us have been brought face to face with the need for the forgiveness of our sins, we will always find that speck in, in everybody else's eyes because we can't see the, that log that is in our own eye. If we learn anything from John, the Baptist ministry, and that is how to give knowledge of salvation to his people. We need to share the full story and the message of repentance and the message of forgiveness of sins and the message of God's grace and tender mercy to His people is right here in the Scriptures for us to share with those that we love. And I pray that you would this Christmas. I pray that we would be faithful ministers of the Gospel, faithful ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would remember our ministry we are ministers of reconciliation, reconciling others to God, just like John the Baptist did. Those who are lost in their sin, lost in darkness, we are the ones who bring light and bring hope to this world through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray that you, this Christmas, would have those opportunities and you would have the joy of sharing that wonderful good news of our Savior who came to the earth 2,000 years ago, who fulfilled prophecy. We praise God for His redemption. And we praise God this morning for John the Baptist. And we praise God this morning for fulfilled prophecy.
Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, your grace is marvelous, but we can't see that until we see our own sin. So help us, Lord, we pray, to see our own sin. We pray your Spirit, Lord, would open our eyes to see the truth. We pray the Spirit, Lord, would bless God even as that we would, through the Spirit of God, bless God, that you would help us to bless Him with our lives, to bless Him with our, our words, just as Zechariah did, that we would live lives to the glory of our, of our loving Lord. We pray this prayer now in Jesus' precious name. Amen.